prowling like a lion that he wants to get you. He, he wants to sneak out from behind a car in a dark place where you can't see him and you don't know he's there and you're vulnerable and he's going to pounce. And the beauty of that image is that there's one who is greater, the lion, Christ, who is greater than that and he defends us and he takes care of us from all of our enemies. And parents, guess what that means about your children? He takes care of your children. And grandparents, he takes care of your grandchildren. And spouses, he takes care of your spouse. He loves to care for his people. He's that kind of king. And so we come and we celebrate that king each time we gather together in worship. And we've been looking through a, a story of that king, of how he relates to his people in the book of Galatians. We've been looking at it now for several months, and we're going to continue on for a little while longer. And now what we're going to really begin to look at is the traits of the king that are found in his followers. Uh, Those characteristics, those kingly qualities uh, of him, of God, our king, Christ, our savior, who by the power of his spirit, which has taken up residence in our lives, we begin to have characteristics of him. And we call them in the scriptures, there's two uh, basically demarcations of them. There's the gifts of the spirit, those of how we are gifted to do the ministry of the work of the body. In uh, Ephesians 4, it says, Paul says, for God has gifted us all uniquely for the building up of the saints in the work of the gospel ministry, that each of you have gifts. Do you realize that? Not one of you, by the power of God's spirit in you, is without giftedness and without a place and a purpose in this church and in the world and in the kingdom life. He's given you those gifts. And in another way that he describes them here in Galatians chapter 5, he says that we have fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit is in our lives and it is bearing fruit. It is naturally growing in us and we will then bear fruit. We joked around last week that you know an apple tree is an apple tree. How? Because it bears fruit that looks like apples. They're apples. An orange tree has oranges. A Christian bears the fruit of the Spirit and exercises the gifts of the Spirit. And so if you are in the church and if you are coming to church regularly and you say you're a Christian, but none of these qualities show up in your life, the natural question has to be, are you really a Christian? Do you really have the third person of the Spirit dwelling in you? Because where the third person of the Spirit dwells, something is going to take place. There's going to be some kind of actual change taking place that people around you can see. That's called transformation. Uh, That's called becoming, and the big theological word, sanctification. You're becoming more like Christ, dying more and more to those old ways and living more and more to him. And in this passage, Paul says, now, I hope that you will live by the power of the Spirit, walk in line with the Spirit. You see, this isn't natural. He starts from the very get-go that this isn't natural. You see, we can conjure up and we can create uh, certain behaviors, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But he's saying these qualities, these characteristics of God in our lives are supernaturally borne out. They don't come naturally. Now, there are counterfeits in the world which look like them, but Paul does just... I must take a step back. God, by breathing his, it says all of scripture is God breathed. By God giving Paul these words says, I want to take away that argument that says, well, I can be loving, but I don't have to be patient. That I can, I don't have to have joy in order, but I have self-control. You see, Paul here begins to describe it all as the singular fruit of the spirit. One, all tied together, holding on to one another, and they grow out into our lives. So this morning, we're going to look at a couple of passages. We're going to begin with Galatians chapter 5, very briefly, just to set the stage. And then over the course of the next several weeks, uh, we're going to look at some of these fruit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. But we're going to go to different places in the scripture and see how God teaches us about that particular fruit, how it's developed in our lives, and what it looks like in our lives. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at Galatians 5 for just a moment and then flip over uh, to John chapter 13 uh, when it was that last night before Jesus uh, was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, when he washes the feet uh, of the disciples in the upper room. And we're going to see there love. We're going to see how it is that the fruit of the Spirit, love, is born out in our lives, how we know that we have it. So if you have your scripture, go ahead and turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read just for a moment there. And then you can look and flip over to John chapter 13. It's going to be up on the screen for you. I have to say this first. I want to be very careful to always give credit where credit is due I was deeply influenced in how uh, I've constructed this sermon by Tim Keller, who's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church uh, in New York City. And so if you were to go flip online and go find Keller preaching on this, you'd go, "Ah, I've seen that. Well, I saw that from him. He didn't get that from me. Uh, So I want to make sure that credit goes where credit is due. But I appreciated some of his insights on this, and so I've incorporated them into the sermon today. But first, let's look at Galatians uh, chapter 5 where Paul says uh, to us, for I want you to walk by the Spirit, beginning there, and he says in verse 15, but I, and 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then jumping down to verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then over into John chapter 13. And I'm going to read part of it for you, but it's a long passage, and so I won't read the entire thing, but it's on the screen for you. And again, this is Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, and it says that before uh, the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, uh, that having loved his own, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you, are, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe what I am, that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. And so we come today to this passage of Scripture. And we're looking at the idea of the fruit of the Spirit being born out in our lives. And how it is that we see love, especially in this passage. And what I want us to see here is that Jesus is saying, I want you to know these things and I want to show you these things so that you will then go and do these things. That what I'm teaching you will take root in your life and will begin to be a work in you that will naturally flow out of you because you've heard it from me and seen it in me and experienced it with me. You see, what Jesus was really saying to them was, listen, I want this to go into you. I don't want you just to to get it up here. I hear so often, and we talk about, well, I've got it up here in head knowledge, but it hasn't really pushed its way down into the heart. What Jesus is saying is this, kind of goes back to the psalmist in Psalm 40 when he said, you know, God, I know that you don't really want burnt offerings and sacrifices. What you really want is me. Well, that's sort of hyperbole because the psalmist knows that God did demand burnt offerings and sacrifices, didn't he? But what he was trying to say was it's more than that. You see, by giving those burnt offerings, it's expressing to me all of you. Does God want you just to give a tithe? No. Does he say we should tithe? Yes. He wants that in the giving of the gift, it shows a heart transformation, not just an exterior behavioral modification. What we're talking about in this series of being finally free in Christ and the work of grace and the power of the Spirit in our lives is that we are internally changed from the inside out at the deepest motivational level uh, at our belief center. We are changed here, and from that, our actions spring out. Most of us go backwards in that. We think that we will change the exterior and it will somehow begin to affect the interior. Why is it that evangelical Christians in the church have lost their influence in Hollywood? Why do you think that is? Because Christians have moved out of Hollywood. And we think that somehow we're going to affect the arts and entertainment industry by standing on the outside critiquing it and trying to influence it from the inside. Why is it that cities aren't being changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ and and things being changed? Because guess where Christians have moved? It's kind of hard to say as we sit here in a beautiful resort area uh, and all that we've moved out of the cities. And then we try to externally influence it. God says always that change happens from within It is incarnated within us and through us then affects everything else. And so that's why parents, when you say, I want to affect my family for the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess where it has to start? 
Your kids need to see you changed. Your life transformed. And then it begins from that to change and affect others. That's why part of um, our strategy here for reaching our church with the gospel and seeing God do a great work is this. We're going to put an increased emphasis on reaching the men of our church. Why do you think that is? Because if we can see God begin to transform the men in our church, we believe powerfully that marriages will be transformed and that family systems will be fully transformed by reaching the men in there. And women, you've carried that mantle for a very long time. And you've done it very well. But what we want to see is, men, this is a little wake-up call to you. We're coming for you. We want to see you get it. We want to see your hearts come alive. We want to see you lead your families well. We want to see you understanding what it means to be servant leaders in that way, of leading with a limp, that you're walking around and you're leading, but you're doing it by knowing your own weakness and your desperate need of Christ. And so we believe that change begins on the inside. And what this, this passage begins to teach us is the importance of seeing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's the importance of seeing the fruit of the Spirit Now think about it for a second. Why do you think John spent so much time talking about this one event? Well, it was an incredibly important event right on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. But guess who is mentioned in this passage over and over and over again? Judas. Judas is mentioned in this passage. And there's a reason why John mentions Judas so often. Uh, As one writer put it, we have either lionized uh, Judas or we've demonized him. We've said that, oh, well, Judas was just sort of of a higher thought life. He was just sort of above it. He was more of the intellectual. We sort of see him in this other light. Or others say, oh, Judas was always evil. He's this terrible person. We villainize him and we demonize him. And we say, even in this passage, that the spirit of, of Satan had begun to work in him. I'll be careful on both ends of that. One lets him off the hook as sort of being just sort of intellectually aloof over here, and the other makes too much of the fact of the, that Satan was using him. Guess what Christ said to Peter when Peter told him, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem and die. Peter, Satan, get thee behind me. He said, Peter, you're being influenced by Satan. You're being influenced by evil. You see, when any of us begin to act in a way outside of the gospel way of life, we're being influenced by evil in that. And so what we see with with Judas here is we've got to look at him honestly. Now think about Judas, and this will alarm you. Judas was in the best small group ever. (laughs) Judas had the best preacher, teacher, small group discipler ever. Ever. He had the best input that you could have, right? You want to talk about knowing the word? He was with the word. And so he had the input that all of us would equate with spiritual maturity or fruit of the spirit. He had all this input coming in him. You go, okay, I can acknowledge that. But guess what else Judas had? He had the greatest output as well. Because when you see the work of the disciples, it said that Jesus sent them all out and that all of them including Judas were used by God to do amazing things in the world he had a profound ministry where it says that demons fled where people were converted where people were healed so not only did Judas have the most incredible input that anybody has had he had a better output than anybody really has had better than so if we take an honest assessment of ourselves we have to in humility say 
He had better teachers than we had. He had a better small group ministry than we have. He had better input than I could ever hope or dream of. And he was more influential in his ministry than I've been. I would gather that he had a bigger impact than all of us here. Because the Spirit of God was moving in that first season of life there in powerful ways that we don't see as much today. And Judas was the one doing it. Go figure that. But what was different? What this passage teaches us is the need for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You can have all of your input that you want. You can have all of your knowledge that you can have. And you can go out and you can minister powerfully in the name of Jesus. And you can have powerful ministries out there. But if the fruit of the Spirit is not born out in your life, it means that you don't have anything really at all. And that should shock us. And it should be one of those points in our lives where we pause quietly and we go, oh. Because what we see in Judas' life is he didn't have true love or joy, or peace, or self-control, and faithfulness, and kindness, and gentleness, and those things. They were separated out. And what, what we really need to learn in the midst of this is you have to have the guts in your life to look and to see, are the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Most of us, when we try to assess our lives, most of you, when you try to assess your spiritual life, you go back either to your input, how much knowledge you have, or to your output, how much ministry you do. Judas is a great example to be careful there. What you should do is, how is the Spirit working in my life to bear fruit? I'm going to give you a very dangerous and mature assignment today. All of you should have at least one person in your life who you fully trust, who loves you and has your best interest in mind. I hope you do. If you're married, I pray to God that is your spouse. Children, I pray that it's one of your parents or maybe a a close, close friend. It's somebody who loves you enough that when you ask them this question, they'll be honest with you. And here's the question. You ready? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit growing in me and give them the freedom to answer that question. Why is that a dangerous question? We started a men's ministry here and I may scare off every man in the church when I do this, but we have a men's ministry back in the other church where I came from that you had to sign an agreement before you entered into the men's ministry And in that agreement, you said, I commit myself to be a part of this. And then there was a line on there that if you were married, your spouse had to sign. And the spouse's signature was, my husband has explained to me what he's doing in this ministry, what its purpose is, and I have, and we listed out the fruit of the Spirit, and I have prayerfully considered what fruit of the Spirit I would like to see more developed in my husband over the course of this Bible study. Hmm. A lot of men looked at that and went, Well, my wife doesn't have joy. I was like, well, she may not, but that doesn't negate the question, now does it? And her ability to look into your life. So it's a dangerous question. Why? 
Because the only way that we know that something's really happening in us is that we see the fruit of the Spirit born out in us, not just by our labors. Notice in here that Paul didn't say, and the fruit of the Spirit which wages war against the flesh is importance in the church of ministry and discipleship and evangelism. And you're out handing out tracts on Friday nights and you're attending church on Sunday mornings and you're in a small group and you attend a Christian school and you're part of FCA and you're part of Young Life and you serve and you do and you read your Bible every day and you've memorized all those things. Where do you find any of that as fruit? But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law saying they are developed supernaturally within the heart and in the life of a person who has the spirit. So if you want to know if you're growing in the spirit, look at your weakest fruit. Say, of all of those fruits, where am I weakest? And that shows me my maturity level. You talk about a team being only as good as their weakest member. Well, it's the same in this part of our life. The fruit of the Spirit is bearing out. Your maturity is growing only as much as that one that's lagging behind. Some of you will say, well, I've got great joy, but you have no self-control. Ah, I've got incredible self-control, but I have no patience at all for people who don't. And so we see that these things are all, and we try, to, we try to move them around. But what we need to see is if you have the guts to ask these questions, am I a better listener? Am I a better repenter? Do I repent more frequently and, and with greater satisfaction? Do I forgive more in my life with others? Would people say they see me as more poised when I fail? That things don't devastate me as much in these things? That I don't seek the approval of others as much because I know the approval of my Father in me and I'm at peace with that? Does that make sense? It's asking good questions. One of the things that I want to do in your life and one of the things that I hope that our church does in your life is to help you ask better questions. Most of the time we ask the wrong questions and we answer them and we think, see, I asked this question, I got a positive answer, things are good. How would you answer some of these questions? Think about this. Do you see people who are broken and in need, who are wrestling with sin, do they seek you out? Do they seek you out? Do they come to you for counsel? Do they come to you and say, my life is a wreck, or I need some prayer in this area, or can you help me with this? If no one is seeking you out, there's a reason, folks. There's a reason. You you don't know that, right? Remember I joked around about some elders. It wasn't really a joke, but I told you a story of some elders when I told them that I had I made up the thing. I have a problem with lying. And their response was what? You shouldn't lie. This Bible tells you you shouldn't lie. I asked him the next question. Does anybody ever come to you and ask for help? And they went, no, not really. I said, maybe because they don't see the fruit of the Spirit in your life because gentleness would come out of that. They told me truth but it wasn't with gentleness. 
And see, that's for this next part. What you begin to see with the fruit of the Spirit in your life is the unity of the Spirit in your life. You see that you can't have one, and we can't go too long on this, but you can't have one without another. And this is a little tricky because some of you would say, oh, I'm a gentle person, but you never confront. Well, maybe that gentleness is nothing more uh, than this part of who you're, how you're made. It's a temperament issue. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Some of you are saying, well, I'm having to work on patience. Well, that's because you want to get the sale and you need to be patient with that person for a little longer. But that's not a spirit-moved kind of thing because what happens is the spirit is working together in all of those things, forming together. Some of you would say of yourselves, I just don't like confrontation. I have the gift of mercy. And so I don't like to confront. Mercy, gentleness also has to have with it courage and boldness. Boldness and courage, some of you say, well, I just sort of have the prophetic gift. I just speak the truth. I'm a truth speaker. I'm a truth teller. When people tell me they have the gift of truth telling, I normally go, we're not going to get along. (laughs) Because what that means, what that person is basically saying is, Bill, I'm just going to say things to you. And I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings. Don't you know when people come and say that? This may hurt your feelings a little bit, and I'm sorry for that, but I just feel that I've got to say this about you. You're ugly, and your mama dresses you funny, and you have no business being in ministry. Oh, God bless you. I've done my spiritual duty, and they walk off. Truth-telling also has to come with profound humility. One who is gentle but never confronts really isn't gentle. They're fearful. That's not the spirit working in them. That's their fear of man. They're actually manipulating the other person because they want to be liked, so therefore they're not going to confront the other person. You see, the spirit working in us, that's why Paul uses this one singular word, fruit. But the fruit of the spirit, not the fruits of the spirit. The singular fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. You get it? They're all working together. And so you have to begin to assess and look at your life. How are they bearing themselves out? Now, they're not all going to be growing at the same time and at the same rate. But they all should be there. They all should be there. That's how we begin to know that we're working and seeing the work of God in us. You see, in this passage, uh, Jesus was showing a humility, wasn't he? He was showing a, a humility by washing their nasty feet. That's incredible humility for the God of gods to do it. But he was also showing an endurance because guess what he was facing the next day? He was facing judgment and wrath and separation from his father, but he was willing to endure this moment with them, so long suffering, even in light of something else. But he was showing them some other things. So what Jesus was showing was that all of those are combined together. Humility and endurance and patience And love, all bearing. Think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. For love hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, you see? He's saying love has all of these dynamics of patience. Well, patience, guess what patience has? It has dynamics of love in it and justice. And so it's all mixed together. And we'll come to a close on this. So what you need to see is to begin to ask some really good questions of your heart and ask the questions of, are these just temperament issues or is the spirit really working in me? And you need to elicit the help of other people around you. That's why we believe profoundly in small group ministries in our church. If you're not involved in a small group ministry, then your growth as a Christian will be truncated 
you will not be able to grow as much because you need other people who look at you and lovingly say to you, you have such gentleness, but you need more strength to call that person out. I appreciate your love and grace, but you need to have also courage in there. Or the person who's always telling truth, you need to challenge them and say, hey, bro, I love you, but you need to let go of the bat because you're beating the crud out of everybody around you in the name of Jesus. And you're not having any, because that's not spirit-led in that way. And so we see that the spirit and the work of the spirit is always together. And then basically the fine thing here is this. The last thing is the nature of the fruit of the spirit of love. And the nature is this. And it comes down to this table. It says that Jesus washed, that it had come and it led him to action. But what did he wash? The fruit of the spirit, love, engages the life of the individual. He washed their feet. He didn't wash their hands. He didn't wash their heads. He washed their feet. Why would he wash their feet? It was the place of their greatest need. It was the place that they needed care at that moment. And so love, the fruit of the spirit of love, engages the life of the individual in their place of greatest need. And sometimes it's dirty. Love isn't about affection. Love isn't about any of that. Love is about finding the place of need and going at it. It, it, is, it is a determination of saying, I'm going to love in the midst of nastiness. <laughs> I, I don't like feet. I've said that before. They gross me out. And so the idea of those guys' feet in a culture where they walked in the heat of a day with sweaty, nasty leather sandals and they would step on rocks and they would scratch their feet and they were there and Jesus came to them and feet were so disgusting in the Hebrew culture that a Hebrew slave couldn't even wash feet that they had to go get a Gentile slave to wash feet because it was below them. And Jesus said, this is love that I come to your point of need and I care for you there because I have such confidence in who I am in the Father that I can give up all of my rights here to do this. So here's how you put that in action, okay? Real simple. Look for feet. Everybody has feet. And I'm not saying physically. You're probably going, if you're a guest, this church is nuts. I'm not washing this person next to me's feet. Well, there'd be a great question in that. Why not? But what I'm saying is every person has a need. Find it and engage it in love. Love is ministering in that way. Jesus came and he looked at our need. And he said, you can't save yourself. Your feet are so dirty They are so bruised, they are so messed up that there is no way that you can get into heaven on your own. You have so failed that you'll never get there. But I have something that I can give you that will heal your feet. I have something that will heal your soul. I have something for you that I can give to you at great cost to myself. But I give it freely to you. That's this table. And so today we come here and we celebrate this Savior who wasn't just teaching us a great moral lesson. 
He was showing us that this is what's been implanted in us. His life for us. This is his gift to you. And this table is open to all who are believers. This table is open to all who have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and are in good standing in their local church that you can come. Parents, we've said that we don't invite the children until they've come through uh, in our church and learned about these truths and then gone before the elders. And that material is ready for you. It's waiting for you right over there in the children's department to begin to work on that with your children so that they can come and celebrate this means of grace in the life uh, of a believer because we believe that Christ is somehow present here in a mystery way. And he is working in us through this. So let's now prepare and come to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Christ. And we thank you for the fruit of the Spirit bearing out in our lives. And we thank you for love, for you have loved us. We have seen it. You've loved us at our greatest point of need. And the only way that we're going to get to be more loving is not by more input and not by more output, but by sitting and gazing upon the glory of the picture of your love and letting it change us from the inside out. Dwelling on it, pushing it down, contemplating it, and allowing it to affect us. Father, we praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.